Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. We've had the pride test um, when uh, the dream comes. We've had the pit test uh, when the enemy comes against us. We've had the palace, palace test. Um, it's how well we can handle what belongs to somebody else. The purity test, how well we can handle our own bodies. Uh, we've had the prison test of how we respond to th- uh, when we do the right thing, but maybe the wrong outcome happens anyway. And the prophecy test um, of how we allow God's word to shape us for our destiny. And I'm going to be doing the power test. Um, and the power test is where we step into our destiny. So if we look back at, at Joseph's story, um, there's Potiphar, who was in, in charge of everything. Uh, not Potiphar, my baby. Pharaoh, um, who was in charge of everything. And he had some dreams, and he couldn't um, quite explain the dreams. He was a bit weird. Um, he wasn't quite sure what was going on. So um, one of his servants had said, oh, I met this guy, Joseph, in prison. Um, you know, he helped me out with, with a dream that I had. Maybe he could help you. So um, they sent for Joseph. Joseph was taken out of the prison and, um, and went to Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh told him these dreams. He went and uh, interpreted these dreams, and um, which were about famine that were going to happen in the land. Um, and not only did he interpret them, he actually gave Pharaoh a plan as well of what what he should be doing. Um, and Pharaoh was really pleased with what Joseph said um, and the plan that he'd given. But he also saw and recognised that the spirit of God was on uh, Joseph's life, um, and so he put Joseph in charge. And um, basically put him in charge of the whole of Egypt and um, put him in charge to outwork the plan that Joseph had come up with, trying to, you know, sort out the famine that was going to come, trying to sort out, store things up so that, you know, that he can be, the whole of land can be fed um, when that famine time comes. Um, so I'm just going to read from Genesis 41, if we're going to continue. So it says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot um, as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. That's pretty massive. (laughs) Going from, you know, Joseph going from being in a prison, you know, one morning waking up in a prison to the next waking up in, you know, palace, having all this fine robes, all this jewelry, you know, whatever he says, people just go and do. You know, that's massive. But now for Joseph, now he's stepped into his destiny and, you know, the test really starts here for him th- with the power test. You know, how will Joseph react to, to being in his destiny? How will he react to having so much power being put on him? You know, how will he react to, you know, having people do what he says? I'm sure you've all seen that before, Mighty. So um, basically, if you haven't seen it, um, that guy, Bruce, he was complaining and moaning to God about uh, his situation and what was going on in his life. And God basically said, well, do you think you can do better? Here, have my power. Um, and as you see, it's probably not going to go well for him. Uh, <laughs> so, 
But that is an example of how you know we've failed that power system out there. We've taken that power and just thought, well, you know, great, let's see what I can do, rather than thinking about you know what actually should I be doing with this power? It's a big responsibility. What should I be doing there? You know, and, and so many of so many people, so many of us, myself included, you know, have we we have times where we we're given power and stuff, and we can actually fail. And I'm going to go through a few questions that hopefully the answers to will actually help us pass this power test. So the first one is, where does power come from? And in Psalm 62.11, it says, all power comes from God. Um, in John 19.10-11, uh, um, basically Jesus has been arrested um, and everybody's wanting to crying out for him to be crucified. And Pilate... Um, who's like the governor, is in charge. He doesn't really want to crucify Jesus, but, um, but you know, he's, tr he's trying to figure out what to do. And, he, and so he goes to talk to Jesus, um, and it says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Do you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Massive. I've never, I've never actually read that prop. Well, I've read it, but obviously, <laughs> but I've never thought about that. And actually, thinking about, you know, being Pilate, I could definitely look back on that conversation. Ouch! Like, <laughs> you think you said to Jesus, "Well, I've got power over you." Hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> but you know, we need to recognise that all power, all power, all power in this, you know, that we have uh, in life comes from God. You know, God is overall. You know, God is all powerful and everything, all our power, all our, you know, all the things that we have come from God. And so when we listen to his voice and when we, you know, obey his word, obey what it says, you know, in the Bible or, you know, dreams or whatever that we get given, you know, he will bless us and he will give us power and success in our lives. Um, number two, who does God give power to? So um, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 6. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's almighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And actually, in the, uh, in the Amplified Version, it says he'll exalt you to a place of honor in his service, which, which is incredible to be in a place of honor. <coughs> Excuse me place of honor in God's service that's incredible um so God is the one it gives power to those who are humble not those who are proud and you know like look at me give me the power give me the power but those who are humble who you know are just going on with their lives and trying to help people Sometimes when we start something new, maybe we've given a, got a role at work or, you know, in, in some kind of family situation maybe, we can start off being really humble and, you know, we, we have the knowledge that, you know, we, we don't know everything, you know, we're relying on other people to help us out um, and we can just be really humble in that situation. But then when we become familiar and, you know, start, you know, getting more into that role or whatever, we can, you know, we can actually start to to let, you know, that humble, like, humility slide and pride can creep in, thinking, you know, I know I know what I'm doing now, you know, it's fine, I could do it. Um, and actually, in my own life, I um, I used to work at Sainsbury's and um, 
a long while ago when I was probably when I was about a year into um, the job I was just leaving the college um, I got promoted to being a supervisor and at that time I was very well I still am quite quiet but I was you know very quiet just kind of cracked on with what I was going to do and um, I, I suddenly got this promotion of which was a bit of a surprise but because I'd been there for a year or so um, so many I'd made friends with loads of people around me um, all the other colleagues and um, when I was you know I was like oh I've, I've been given the supervisor role they're like hi no you haven't like oh what a joke ha ha and they didn't believe me so I something kind of went off in my head and I kind of thought I will show them I am a supervisor ha ha <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> there's a system basically um, at the till reserve you, you push one bell and that means you need another colleague and if you push two bells that means you need a supervisor so I'd be doing doing my thing and then I'd hear two bells and think that is the call for the supervisor so I'd sort of do like a, almost like in my head, like, you know, a superhero kind of thing. It'd be like, oh, the distress call has gone out. I need, the super <laughs> supervisor must come. So I'd like, be like, I'm coming, I'm coming. And uh, I'd be like, the supervisor is here. Hello. <laughs> and it looked absolute, absolutely ridiculous and just totally pointless. But in my head, I was like, no, I need to prove that I am the supervisor. You don't believe me. I am, but I am the supervisor. I have a badge that says it and everything. And, you know, that was a time where I totally failed that power test that, you know, <laughs> I uh, think, you know, just because I've been given the title of supervisor, it meant that I was, you know, so important and, you know, uh, better than everybody else when actually this is no different to the day before, you know, or the week before when I was a colleague was no different other than doing a slightly different job. And uh, for me, that was a, a big, big wake up call to be like, what are you doing? You know, check it, check out what, what's going on, what's going on in your head. You know, you need to you need to kind of take yourself down a peg and you know, carry on doing what you used to do. And uh, just sort of question to you, is there any, any times in your lives where you let power or let a title or something take over, um, you know, and let pride seep in? Uh, number three, uh, why does God give power? Um, in Acts 10, 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went round doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And God gives us power, not for us to feel, you know, oh, look at me, special, important, look at me, I'm standing out from the crowd, but so that we can go and help other people. You know, God has, you know, God has all the power and all, all the answers for problems and the needs that are in this world, and he's looking for people who are humble and, you know, who are faithful and, and diligent and obedient to go and to give that power to so that we can go and help other people and help solve situations, help people in their, their um, you know, distresses, whatever's going on in people's worlds. For me at, um, at Sainsbury's, I was, I, was eventually, I was a supervisor for eight years. Um, and in that time I saw, um, I think it was nine different managers, many different supervisors come and go. And I was still there, still, still going. But I didn't think, oh, I'm the, you know, I'm the one that's been here all the time. You should all listen to me because I've been here the longest. But I just kept going in my role. I kept going, just doing what I needed to do, getting the job done, staying humble, trying not to take the pride of, you know, the title and, you know, what I'd, how long I'd been there take hold. And I just kept going. And actually, people, s people saw that and they trusted me and respected me and actually let, let me speak into their lives. They actually, you know, opened up and they'd come to me with problems. There was, I mean, various things, you know, people losing, you know, people losing their spouses and, um, you know, 
articles, uh, I think there were domestic abuse and things going on. And they were actually, because I just stayed, I didn't take, let pride take over, I just stayed, you know, humble and diligent and obedient in what I was doing, that they actually valued what I was saying and they would let me speak into their lives and, you know, and bring, bring hope and bring, you know, God's word and some truth into their lives. And actually at the end, my, um, my last manager actually, um, because I was leaving, I was going to work in our business. We've got a cafe and I decided that I'm going to just focus fully on the cafe. And um, the manager basically was like, I can't believe you're going to do this. Like, who does this? Nobody leaves like a safe, secure job to go and work in something that you might fail or, you know. And I basically was just able to share with him, like, my story, my, you know, why I'm doing this, why I've, you know, got faith that it'll, everything will be okay because I've got God. You know, I can, I can step out and know that, you know, God is with me. And if it does fail, it fails, but, you know, everything will be okay. And he was totally blown away and just thought, you know, how could he do this? It's been my, you know, he said it's been my dream to, to go and do something like this. And I was like, go and do it, you know, go and fulfill your dream. So, you know, it, there's such power in, in, you know, being in a position where you can just go and help and speak to people. Um, and as we saw, you know, as Joseph had gone in, um, gone in and, done, and done that role, he actually used his power to help people who were starving, who were, you know, who needed food, who needed helping. And he actually used that rather than just being like, look at me, look at where I've come from. It's just like, no, I've, got, I've been given this power from God and I've got a job to do and I'm going to go and do it and help people and bless people with that. Um, so I just want you to think as well, what power has God given you and, um, and who does he want you to help? Who does he want you to bless with that power? You know, what situations, be it in, in your work, in, you know, in, in your family, in the community, what role has he given you? that you can use then to help and bless people. Just in conclusion, we need to recognize that God's, um, that all power comes from God and um, we need to be humble um, so that God can use us to bless other people. Hand over to Sam. Hello. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Sam. Um, I'm part of the team, well, I'm on the academy here at church, and I'm also part of the team that make our student church happen, uh, Global Barbican. Uh, we're currently in uh, the stage of planning our Christmas, uh, student Christmas service. It's going to be the best student Christmas service anyone's ever seen. Um, that's the plan anyway. Um, and uh, today I'm talking about the prosperity test. Um, and I want to just encourage you uh, this morning to um, kind of ignore, almost ignore who's bringing this message, 23-year-old uh, lad, right? But hear what, hear what I'm saying, because what I'm saying is, true and it will turn your life upside down in the best possible way ever i promise you that so right right so who here who here needs more money or wants more money or maybe needs better relationships maybe they need a wife or husband uh, they need to better relationships with a family maybe a boyfriend a girlfriend who here needs healing from sickness or maybe they just need to know god more anyone anyone yeah hands going up yeah right well i'm here to tell you this morning that that is all available to us okay all of that is available and God is ready to give it in our lives. You know, he's ready to outpour his prosperity in our life. Um, and when I'm talking about prosperity, I think a better, a better, maybe a better term for today is to say uh, success. Specifically, though, God's success on your life. Because, you know, he wants you to have holistic success in your life. Not just in your finances, but definitely in your finances. But also in your relationships, in your health, and in your spiritual life, in your relationship with him, right? So I think we need to... The better question this morning to be asking is, is to ask, 
Are we ready? Are we ready to receive everything that God's got in store for us? And that's where the prosperity test comes in. Uh, that is where it starts. And it's taken from the story of Joseph where, you know, he's interpreted the dreams now. He's interpreted that there's going to be seven years of great harvest and seven years of famine. Um, and then he has to now figure that out. He's the prime minister. He's got to, I mean, we don't get much detail in the Bible about it, but he's got to put structures in place. He's got to organize it. He's got to make sure that this nation doesn't starve, right? So his, his, real, his, his real basic plan is that he's going to take a fifth of everyone's grain during the first seven years, the harvest years, uh, and store that up for the, uh, the years to come when there's famine. But there will be so much more detail in that than just taking a fifth of everyone's grain. So anyway, are we ready then? Are we ready to, to handle those things that God's got in store for us? Because the question is, are we, are we ready for that? Or are we, are we kind of wasting away our money on eating out, living outside of our means, Maybe we've already spent our wage for the month of November and we've got no money left, right? Um, or maybe, just maybe, we're just about scraping by, right? Maybe we've just, just got enough. Um, and I want to say, you know, it's really important that we look at our money and we take our money seriously. Because it says in the Bible that where your treasure is, so where your money is, where you spend your money, that's where your heart is as well. So y- you can tell where someone's heart is by the way that they spend their money, right? So how do we do it then? How do we move into God's success for our lives? Because, you know, we face the prosperity test every month. Every month when we get a paycheck, we face the prosperity test. We're, we're there. We've, we've got to make decisions, right? And I think the starting point of the prosperity test, the starting point to start moving your life into prosperity, this is one of the most exciting words you'll ever hear. It's tithing, right? Tithing, tithing. Okay, Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So what is tithing then? Tithing is when you give a tenth of your income, a tenth of your wage, uh, but specifically the first fruit, so the first 10% of your wage, right? And in those times, he's talking about first fruit, but for us, that's what it translates to. It translates to the first 10% of, the, of your income. Um, and it's not waiting to see if there's going to be enough money ready at the end of the month, but giving it first, right? And here's the important bit then, why tithing? Because tithing, I think, have a bit of a bad rep in church. We go to two things. We either go to God's trying to take all our money or the church is trying to take all our money. I think we should reverse them really quickly because God definitely doesn't need our money. I mean, he's the God of abundantly more. So he doesn't, he doesn't need our tithe, right? He doesn't need it. I mean, he asked for it, but do you know what I mean? Like, he's, not, he's not like Sam Gallagher don't give his tithe. I don't know what I'm going to do for the month. I'm stuck. He's not thinking that, right? And secondly, the church, the church doesn't need your money, right? The church doesn't. If you've come to Global for more than one week, You'll have heard us say things like, you know, there's no pressure to give. There's no pressure. We're not going to pressure you to give. Give with a cheerful heart. Don't be forced into it, right? But I'm not going to lie to you. By choosing not to give, you are missing out on so much that God has got ready for you. God is ready to bring, okay? So tithing. And why do we tithe? I think that's a really important thing to talk about. So here's what tithing does, right? You know, we live in, in a broken world, in a messed up world. Like, we see it in the news all the time, right? And that's ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they fell short of kind of, we all fell out of what God's perfect plan was for this world, right? And because of that, our material things, the material things of life live under this brokenness. In this broken world, in this messed up world, the Bible actually calls it a curse, right? It says our things are under a curse, okay? I mean, think about it. Who is the prince of this world? It's the devil. That's what the Bible says. The prince of this world is the devil, so our finances live under that. Our, our things, our houses, our cars, they live under that until we start tithing, right? I think this might help you, might work it out a bit better for you. If, if you ever have a think like this, if you've ever found that when you're trying to save, right, 
things just start cropping up. When you try to get your budget in order, when you try to get your life in order, things just start cropping up. Bills are more expensive. Um, car needs fixing. I don't know. Maybe it's just a complete lack of self-control. Maybe you just can't handle your money. You just always need to spend to, to the end of your means. But this is what God promises with the tithe, right? It's in the Bible. It's Malachi 3.10. It says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it, right? We've all heard that verse, and how exciting is that verse, that God is ready to pour out more than we can store, right? He's just ready to do that. But listen to the second part, the rest of this verse, right? This is the bit where it's specifically on tithing, right? And it's such a good promise. And as Christians, I think, like, sometimes we, in, in when it's something we don't like, or we're hearing something that maybe it's like, well, I don't like the sound of that. Sometimes we've just got to hear God's promise and cling on to it and stick to it, right? And this is what God promises if we tithe. He says, and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. says in another version, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Right? God's saying, if you give your tithe, if you trust me with that 10%, I will protect you from all these little niggly things that come in, the bills that are too expensive, all the pests of life. Like, obviously, he's talking in the in the sense of crops, but you understand how that translates to us. That translates to the bills that just come in when we're not expecting it. The things that just like, the rug gets pulled under our feet when we're not expecting it, right? God says he'll protect us from those things. He'll rebuke the devourer on our behalf. That's God's protection on our houses, on our cars, on our wage, on our bank accounts. That's exciting, like tithing. Tithing is exciting when you think like that. Like nothing can touch you. Nothing can touch you because God's protecting you, right? It is, it's so good, right? So I want to almost say that we cannot live a prosperous life until we first break that curse. We break and we pull our things and we put God's protection on our material things, right? And why do we give the first 10%? Because that takes faith. If we wait until the end of the month, we'll never, we'll never do a tithe. And there's two really simple reasons for that. One of them being human nature. Human nature always wants to live right to the end of its means, always. And most of the time, actually, further. Uh, but it's human nature. And then you're still living in the brokenness until you've tithed. You're still, your things are still not under the protection of God until you put that tithe, until you give that 10%. And you know, that is, it's almost like we wouldn't be able, to, you're not going to be able to afford to tithe until you start, really. That's what I'd say. I'd say, you, if maybe you're here thinking, I just cannot afford it. You're not going to be able to afford it until you start doing it because of what I just said, because you're stuck, your things, your bank accounts, your houses, your cars, are going to be stuck, stuck under that curse, stuck in the broken world, right? Okay, so that's my first point, and that is the starting point for prosperity. That is the starting point. When we do that, then we can start looking at other stuff, I think. And the next one, the next big thing that I think we need to start looking at to start passing the prosperity test is budgeting. Another exciting word for you. There you go. You've got them all today. Right. Do we budget, right? Because for me, honestly, for me, budgeting was a foreign concept, right? I'm from a family, I'm from a family, right? My family's mint and I love them. But we had like, there was no forward planning with finances in our house. There was no boundaries on what we did and didn't spend money on. 
There was nothing like that. And you know what? There was probably more arguments in our house about finances than anything else. But it was mental because we didn't even have a budget in place. Like we didn't have some structure to say, this is what we do and don't spend our money on. This is where money works. This is where money doesn't work. Like we didn't have that. We probably had more arguments in our house over finances than anything else. And you know, it wasn't until I came to church, this church, that I started hearing about budgeting, getting your money in order, stopping the bleeding. That's what, that's how Dave brings it, stopping the bleeding. Until it was until we stopped the bleeding, God can't pour any more in. And you know, I had three people, I had three people sit me down, take me through kind of what an expenditure, what your income is, how to use Excel, all these kind of things. Three people write out a budget for me, and three times I ignored it. I just completely ignored it, didn't stick to it. I mean, I had people like Andy Nimmo, like successful businessman, pastor of a church, sit me down and give me his time to run through my finances, to get my budget in order, and I ignored it, right? I ignored it until two things I realized. Firstly, I got married, and um, I realized that if I mess up the money, then it's not just affecting me anymore, it's affecting another person. And uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that was one thing. But probably the bigger thing, probably the bigger thing than that, is that I realized until I could start handling the things that I've got in front of me, that I've currently got, God couldn't pour any more into my life. He couldn't because it just fleeted over here or bled out over here or went over there, went on a late night Mackey's or a late night KFC, right? It just wasted it away. So God couldn't. And it was a revelation for me that I realized I had to get my budget in order or else God couldn't start bringing me more in my life, right? And it's really practical, this. Really, really practical. Um, but what I want to say is maybe... Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I do need to get my budget in order, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what I'd do. Wh- what's Excel? Maybe some people are thinking that. I hadn't used it. I mean, I used it in school, but I'd not used it for, like, useful things until I got out of school. Um, but I want to say welcome to church. I want to say, like, people in your church can help you with these kind of things. Church isn't just about, like, preparing us for a great service and a great dinner party, preparing us to get our arms up in worship. It's about securing things for a great life now. It's about teaching us things that are going to set us up for our life, all right? And that's that's what budgeting does. It sets us up. It tees us up for God to put more into our life. And um, I just kind of want to say that it's really easy for maybe to hear these kind of things and think a million miles away from where I live. Maybe I don't even want it, right? Maybe... Forget budgeting, forget tithing, forget it all. I don't, I'm happy with what I've got, right? But I want to say that, like, this is on offer for everyone. Everyone in this room, this is on offer for. This isn't specific to people that worship really hard or pray really hard. This is on offer for everyone when we start learning these principles for prosperity, right? So I just want to really, I don't want to, you can all probably look at me and think, 23-year-old lad up here telling us that we need to tithe, we need to do this and this. But I just want to tell you, right, this has changed my life completely revolutionized my life. And I want to give you some stories. And some of them, some people might know, some of them, some of you might not know. But this is what, I started tithing 18 months ago, right? Eight, roughly around 18 months ago. And I want to give you a little, very, very little time scale of kind of what's happened in my life over the last 18 months. And it is mental. And it's blown my mind. And it's given me such a confidence in who God is that you can listen to his promises and believe his promises, right? But I didn't have this confidence until I started doing it. And these kind of things happen. So April 2017, right, I started tithing. That was April 2017. September 2017, so five months of tithing, right? Uh, And I'm in my overdraft. Just so you're aware, at this point, I was about 1,800, 2,000 pounds in my overdraft. And I was getting to this point in my relationship with Louise where I wanted to propose. So I I wanted to buy her a wedding ring that she could be proud of, right? I didn't want to just get her 
some little things. I want to get something she could be proud of. Anyway, September 2017, right? So I'm £2,000 in my overdraft. And I gave them to the orphan on a Sunday night at church. And I just gave what I had in my pocket, which was about £13, right? I put it in the offering and I just prayed. Because I've tried for the last five months to get out my overdraft. I've tried getting a second job. I've tried saving and everything just wasn't working for me. And I just, I was beside myself really. And I said, there you go, God. I said, I pray that you get rid of this. I can't see in any way that you're getting rid of my overdraft, right? And I kid you not, that night, so the same night, it was a Sunday night. I remember it well. Sunday night. And then um, I'm in the car with Louise and I read an email. And in that email, there was a few things. But the bottom thing of that email said, also, I've been thinking about you. And I want to give you the exact amount of money to pay off your overdraft. Right? The same night. Nobody knew I'd, made, I'd said that prayer or given that money into the offering. I did it right at the end. Nobody saw me do it. Hadn't even told Louise that that was happening. Right? This person had sent the email probably before I put the money into the offering. Right? You've got to understand that. Like, but God made a way. Right? He made a way. He performed a massive miracle in my life. Okay, let's fast forward to December 2017. At that point, I managed to scrape together £400 right, for a wedding ring. For an engagement ring for Louise. Um, and I was looking around and I was thinking, don't know if I like, I want to get a wedding ring she can be proud of, that she can go show the girls and they can do the, ah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to get a wedding ring like that, not one that she had to like always have a hand in her pocket and worry about things. <laughs> so I got 400 quid, right? And I'm looking, at, I'm looking on the internet and I'm looking at things. And uh, I was looking, I had 400 pounds, right? And I told everyone I was going to do it. I was like, I planned in a party. I said, I'm going to do it. I only had 400 pounds. I didn't tell anyone how much money I had, though. I just said, I'm going to propose. I went and asked permission, got permission. It was great. Um, planned a party, right? And planned on giving everyone free drinks to celebrate and all this kind of stuff. I only had 400 quid, right? Three days leading up to me buying this wedding ring, I got three lots of, from different sources, I got three lots of 200 quid, right? And none of these people knew what my bank account was. One of them was the tax man, so he definitely didn't know. <laughs> one of them was a friend, and one of them was a family member, right? And that took me from having £400 to more than double that, to £1,000 I could get to spend on a wedding ring. Better than that, somebody then, on the day of the party, came and paid for all the drinks for everyone, for the whole party. It was like 40 bottles of Prosecco, right? They paid for it all. They were like, we wanna, I want to pay for this for you. And that blew my mind. That blew my mind that... I was tithing, I was giving, and I was praying. I was like, God, I, I believe that I can, I can do this. I mean, I don't know how, but I believe it. Um, and that happened. A thousand pounds I got to buy Louise a wedding ring. And I was so proud. And maybe for some of you, that's not a lot of money. But for me, as a, however old I was, 22, I was buzzing. Like, I'd gone, go back, how many months? Three months? I was 2,000 pounds in my overdraft. Never mind, a thousand pounds ready to pay for an engagement ring. And it, it blew my mind, right? It blew, and it was a miracle. I promise you, it was a miracle. Let's fast forward a little bit more. And bearing in mind, all this time I've been tithing, we get a house deposit in about May 2018. And then I go and tell everyone that we're going to purchase a house, right? <laughs> and we start, we start going to buy this house. And I told everyone about the great plans. I mean, Barry, it was Barry here. I brought Barry in to talk about how we're going to do it up and make it the best house in the world, right? And then it all fell through. It all fell through. We didn't get the house, right? But I told everyone, and it was embarrassing. Worse than that, at the end of May, I'd also quit my job um, because I wanted to go on honeymoon after my wedding, right? And I left really well for my job, but I had no other job in sight, right? I had no other job prepared. Um, and for those that maybe don't know, like getting a mortgage when you have a big gap in your employment is snard, right? So I'm, I'm like, house has fallen through and I've embarrassed myself. Like I've told everyone that I'm going to buy it. And then I'm out of a job. I don't know when we're going to be able to buy a house. And in the lead up to the wedding, I got married on the 
9th of June. <laughs> All right, then, that means on the 8th of June, right, on the 7th of June, I went for a job interview, just a random job interview. On the, uh, on the 8th of June, the day before my wedding, I got the new job. Better than that, it was twice as much money as I was on on my old job, which meant we could get, we could borrow an, eight, an extra £80,000 more to buy a house, right? And now we're just about getting to that point of completing. And we've gone from a two-bed terraced house that we were, like, was really pretty run down and we're going to have to do a lot of work to it, to buying a three-bed semi-detached in Heworth. <laughs> Middle class, right? I think I'm the only person in the church that actually lives in Heworth now, maybe. But, <laughs> but yeah, that is, that is, it's crazy to think, like, my wage was doubled. And I think through all these stories, listen, that all these times I've not done anything really apart from do what God's asked, which was to tithe and to have faith. I've just, that's all I've done is be obedient. I've not, like, I've not done anything else. I've, I've made, I did 400 pounds for a wedding ring. I didn't get the other 600. Like, that's almost embarrassing in one sense, but I'm proud of it because I'm like, look what God's done and I can just keep doing it and I can keep working with it and it's great, right? I look at my relationships in life, like, I've got a wife now. When I started tithing, I didn't have a wife. And I'm not saying we've got a perfect relationship, but I'm saying that's like, that's success, isn't it? Like, I've gone from a girlfriend to a wife. That's success, right? It's, it's meant. It is. It's powerful. It's powerful, and it has completely changed my life, right? And more than, more than all those things, it's given me a confidence in God, in, his, in, in even being real. Like, I struggled to even, like, I would go, constantly go on battles of, is God real? Isn't God real? Is God real? There's this, there's this argument, there's that argument, right? And right, when those kind of miracles happen in your life, you can't do anything. It, it beats any argument. It beats any argument, right? So my final point, and I wanted to tell you those things so you know that I'm not just, like, coming up here and reading from, this is real for me. This is some real. And, like, we're going to get a house, and then we're going to go on to the next thing, which is a business. But I'm not going to tell you about it yet, because it might all go wrong, so let's see. <laughs> right. Here we go. And the last one, my last point, it's to live a generous life. Okay? To pass the prosperity test. Live a generous life. So to live a big life, a successful life, and a prosperous life, we've got to start tithing, stopping the bleeding, and then we've got to start giving. All right, giving. In Proverbs 11:24, it says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. And that's a great verse. Like, I cling to that verse all the time. And so, so should, it's just a promise. It's another promise of God that if I live a generous life, my life is going to get bigger. And we think, like, sometimes we think that's really, like, super spiritual, which on one sense it is. But on one level, it's really practical, right? If I'm generous with my words, if I'm generous with my time, my money, if I'm getting around a drink tin and things like that, right, firstly, people are going to want to be around me, aren't they? If I'm kind to them, if I'm generous to them and how I, how I speak to them, how the time I give them, right? But more than that, I'm going to start becoming well-respected. People will think well of me. My circle of influence will grow. Your relationships will grow, and then there you go. You've got a bigger life. Like, it's that practical. But then when we supercharge that with the Holy Spirit, right, you know what I mean? Like, when we, su when we do those practical things, and then we give the Holy Spirit, oh, our life is only going to grow, right? It's only going to get bigger, yeah. So, come on, to conclude, God is not going to pour into a small, stingy life. He's looking for people who are ready to give away. You know, we live a big, successful life so that we can give. And I want to encourage you to start where you're at. Be faithful in the little things, because that's what Joseph did. Through Potiphar's house, through to serving in the prison, he was faithful in the small things. And that meant that God could then trust him with the big things. So let's give. Let's give of our time, our finances.
our energy and thoughts and be generous in all of it, right? Because, you know, I was thinking about Joseph when he stored up all this grain. He could have easily sold it on. Right? He could have stored it all up, sold it on for a massive profit. But that wasn't his purpose in life. His purpose was to save a nation, right? That was his purpose. And uh, God's not a get-rich-quick scheme. I hope you're not getting that from him. He's not really interested in lining your pockets for selfish reasons. But don't get me wrong, he does want you to have a great life. But he knows your heart, and that's what God is interested in. Because God has a heart for people, right? So my last question to finish then is, if God has a heart for people, do you? Because it will show in your finances. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.